Man, um, Aaron, thanks for that song. My goodness. Aaron sent me that song midweek, and um, it just moved me deeply. Um, even just singing it now, I'm thinking, I'm singing those, that phrase, your goodness is running after me. And all my, all my life, you've been faithful. And I think of some of those dark seasons, right, that we've all walked through. And just that, the picture, that's Psalm 23, right? Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life, right? Only it's depicted as it's running after me. Um, it's sometimes it's felt like God's goodness has needed to run in order to keep up with my brokenness. Um, but he has. And in every season, he's been running after you. So Jesus, we pray today that we would hear your voice, that, that good shepherd voice, that you would run after us this morning, and God, that we would run towards you this morning, and that there might be a beautiful collision. Now we pray that in your precious name, amen, amen. It's a bit of irony that some of the greatest movements in the history of the church have been birthed out of some of the sharpest disagreements. Some of the things that we celebrate most started off as, well, uh, a fight. They started off as people on two sides of the aisle, unable to come to a conclusion and having very different opinions about the way that things should progress. In Acts chapter 15, we see one of those situations, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, this is the brothers, the church in Antioch, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others who were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders to ask about this question. Now, what follows in Acts chapter 15 is what we will refer to as the Jerusalem Council. It was one of the church's first ever business meetings. You didn't want to miss a business meeting in the early church, though. Um, some business meetings ended with your pastors, your teachers being sent out on the very first ever missionary journey. You don't want to miss that one. Uh, this one you didn't want to miss either. Because this one actually, this, this Jerusalem council, this church business meeting, actually set their trajectory for the New Testament church. I think what's decided in Acts chapter 15 is the biggest decision the church has ever made. And they go down, this group of people, I mean, can you just imagine what this walk would feel like? What this 300-mile, probably 15 to 20-day journey, what do you talk about on the way down or up to Jerusalem from Antioch? 300 miles, Paul, Barnabas, some other people. Uh, there might be some men there who had a vested interest in what this council would decide, right? Do I have to have a surgery to be part of the church or not, Right? That, that's part of what's being decided here. But at the core of what they're going to figure out in the Jerusalem Council is, what does it really mean at a very base level to follow the way of Jesus? What does Jesus ask of us? Is it Jesus and Moses? Is it Jesus and surgery? 
Is it Jesus plus whatever, fill, fill in the blank, uh, whatever law you want to fill in the old covenant with? What, what, is it Jesus plus or is it, is it just Jesus? And that's what they're going to figure out, a 300-mile journey, and they walk in to this meeting where they're going to make the biggest decision the church has ever made. Here it is in verse 5. Here it is. Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up. Notice, these are believers who are part of the party of the Pharisees. So they've got a little residual, okay? They said it's necessary to circumcise them. These are Gentile believers who have come to faith in the Jewish Messiah. His name is Jesus. And, okay, so there's, this is a big and, to order them to keep the law of Moses. Let that sink in on you for a moment. This is a huge decision. If you are grateful that you can eat ham sandwiches and enjoy bacon with your eggs, <laughs> this decision matters. If you're grateful as a man that we do not need to perform surgeries in order for you to be part of the membership of this church, you should be grateful for this covenant. If you're grateful that you can wear clothes with more than one type of thread in them, that you can eat shellfish, that we don't stone disobedient kids any longer, you should be really grateful for this covenant, for this, uh, for this council. If you're grateful that we don't have animal sacrifices right up here, you have a vested interest in this. This is a huge huge decision. It's the most important decision the church collective, I believe, has ever made. Because they were deciding what we're going to do today, what we've done for the last 2,000 years, how do we interact with the law of Moses? Jesus plus? Jesus and? Jesus above? What do we do? What, what, what does it mean? at a very base level, to follow the way of Jesus. So, this is important, an important decision, yes? In a series where we're talking about God's will, what I've decided to do, and, and um, I may have mentioned this last week, but originally I said this is going to be a three-week series, and then I started to get into it more, um, and I thought, that's stupid. Um, and it, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us, to um, extend the series. So what I'm going to do over the next few weeks is um, uh, do a few case studies with us of how do people discern God's will. It's the most important decision the church collective ever made. How'd they make it? What'd they do? Because maybe there's some things we can learn when we're looking at important decisions that will shape our future as to how they made this decision. So Acts chapter 15, are you there? Acts chapter 15. And what we're going to see is that the church is going to enter into a process. That what does not happen is God does not somehow just speak a direct word to the church leaders. They don't go into a prayer closet, come out and say, God spoke to me and this is what we are supposed to do. And if that's how this had played out, they certainly would have written that. And let's just step back for a moment. When we are trying to make difficult decisions in our life, isn't that usually how we expect God's going to speak to us? He's just going to give us a direct word, and then we're going to be able to make a decision and, and move forward. The only problem with that is that that doesn't happen every time, does it? And I've met so many people who are paralyzed by their perceived silence from God. 
that they just can't move forward and make a decision. And, and what I want to say to you is, oh, oh if, if it feels like God isn't giving you a direct word, a direct guiding word for your situation, you're in great company. The church made the biggest decision it ever made without a direct word from heaven. Now, um, that should scare us maybe a little bit also, but it's just, it's simply true. It's true. And discovering God's will, what we're going to see in Acts chapter 15, discovering God's will is often, and not, not every time, sometimes there is that direct word. I don't want to write that off. But it's often more of a process than it is instantaneous. It's often more of a process of discovery, a journey of discovery. It's often like, like God takes our hand and starts to show us, right, rather than just tells us. It's often a journey, a journey of discovery, a journey that the Bible refers to simply as the life of faith. When I was a, a backpacking guide, this is um, back in the um, late 90s, early 2000s, I had the chance to be a backpacking guide for Young Life for four years, and absolutely loved my time in the outdoors. One of the very first trainings they did with new guides was um, navigation training, and they would take us with these paper things that they called maps, okay? This is, this is before GPS was a big thing, and we would go into the wilderness, right, and, and um, we would do something called triangulation. Does anyone know what this is? Okay, so you get to an open meadow where you could see a few peaks around you, and from where you were standing, you would shoot a bearing with a compass and figure out what sort of, what angle, what degree you were at, and you would, on the map, physically draw a line from that peak all the way down the map. And then you would shoot another bearing, and you would have another sort of peak, and you would draw a line all the way back from that. And you'd do it on a third peak and draw the line all the way back. And, and in the end, it looked something similar to this, okay? You'd have this area. This, this is what your bulletin insert is. If you're wondering what the heck that was, that's what this is. Okay, we're triangulating this morning. You know what it never gave you? Never gave you your exact location. It gave you a ballpark. Now, if you, if you were triangulating and you, you were like right in the middle of a lake on your map, you knew you were off, right? As if you, in, unless you were on a boat. Um, but it gave you sort of like a ballpark. It was way more art than science. At least it felt that way. I, I want to give you this morning three bearings to shoot. Okay? Three bearings that the early church shot where they tried to discern, God, what do you have for us here? God, where, where are you leading and where do you want us to go? And when we're making the, the biggest decision the church collective has, has ever made, what are some of the things we take into account? What are some of the bearings that we shoot in order to figure out where we are and in order to figure out where we're going? Well, let me show you. Let me show you what they did. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 6, this is what we refer to as the Jerusalem Council. And here's what it says. The apostles and the elders were all gathered together to consider this matter. So you get, the, you get the picture. There's believers that have traveled 300 miles from Antioch. There's believers from all over Jerusalem. And they're all gathering in order to seek God to figure out what do we do with the law of Moses and circumcision? Is it a part of what we believe as followers of Jesus and what we do or not? Verse 7. 
And after there had been much, you following along, what's the word? Debate, discussion. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, if you want to read what Peter's talking about, you can read about it in Acts chapter 10 and 11, okay? Uh, Verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. He's he's talking about the Mosaic law. That's what he's talking about. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. God gave them, the Gentiles, these these non-Jewish people, the Spirit of God, just like he gave to us. He cleansed their hearts through faith, just like he did for us, only they didn't have to go to the temple. They didn't have to present some animal sacrifice. They didn't have to go through the the day of atonement. They they didn't need to slaughter the bull. God, God just met them in their messiness exactly where they were at, no surgeries, and gave them the spirit of God and cleansed their heart. And Paul jumps in and goes, oh man, the signs and wonders God is doing amongst the Gentiles because he's just returned from a missionary journey where he saw all of this take place. If you want to read about it, it's Acts chapter 13 and 14. He goes, you guys... It's unbelievable what God's up to. What's really interesting, when they they try to seek what God's will is, what his path forward is, what's the very first thing the church does? They say, well, God, what are you up to? How are you moving? You're, you're at work in people's lives, the Spirit's being poured out in the lives of people that aren't Jewish, and, and essentially they go, well, who are we? Which is a, this is a great line of thought. Who are we to argue with God? If you think it's a good idea, we think you're pretty smart. We want to get on board. God, we want to get on board with what you are doing. And I think that's the very first bearing we've got to shoot is, God, where are you active? God, where are you moving? I don't know if you're aware, but we have an email address set up that's just stories at southfellowship.org. I'll be really honest with you. There's two reasons we have that set up. One is because as a staff, there are moments where we will need to dig into that story box in order to remember why we do what we do. So you serve our souls when you do that as a staff, as an elder team, as leaders. It helps us to see God's doing something great here. But here's the other reason. We want to get on board with what God's doing. Our goal as a a leadership team, our goal as elders, our goal as staff, is not to create a movement of God. Our goal is to get on a surfboard and ride the wave that he has created. 
And those are two very different things. So when we hear stories, man, God's moving, God's working, this is what God's doing in my life, we go, well, that's a wave that we want to surf. How do we resource that? How do we get on board with that? Even if it's not something we came up with. I love this. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples come to Jesus and they tell Jesus this story. Hey, Jesus, you're going to be really ticked off because there's people driving out demons and they're not with us. And Jesus is like, wow, that sounds terrible. Why would they be driving out demons? He goes, no, no, come on, guys. Are they, if they're not against us, then they're with us. Like, they wanted it just to be their thing, but oftentimes God works in wider areas, right? But think about it for a moment. The activity of God in your life. I mean, think of how many things in your life you didn't choose. You didn't choose when you'd be born. You didn't choose where you'd be born. You didn't choose the family that you would be born into, good or bad. You, you didn't choose your wiring. You didn't choose how smart you'd be. You didn't choose the first language that you'd speak. You didn't choose the things that would get you fired up. Those are all sort of built into you. So, so lean in for a moment. When we talk about the activity of God, we're not just talking about the activity of God out there, we certainly are. But what about the activity of God in our own lives? How do we become students of our own life? Because we aren't bound by our history and our stories, but we aren't free to just push it to the side either. Because every decision you make, lean in, you may want to write this down, every decision or any decision you make is simply the next chapter in your story. It's not a new story altogether. And most of the time, God's will in our lives, just like it did in the Jerusalem Council, moves along the contour lines of what God has been up to and what God has been doing. Very rarely, now I'm not saying never, but very rarely is it a complete one 80 turn. So maybe you start to ask yourself this question. It's a great diagnostic question. Recognizing the activity of God in our life. What decision, which choice out of these myriad of choices, this thing that I'm wrestling with, this thing that I want to discover God's will in, which choice allows you to live most consistently with how God has been writing the story of your life? I, I used to think it was just God's divine comedic humor, and, and it's partially that. But um, when I was a senior in college, I had two jobs that I didn't want to have. One of them was I worked in an early learning daycare center at Colorado State. And the other was that I worked at Starbucks as a barista. Now, you fast forward 10 years, and I am the lead pastor of a church that has an early learning center preschool <laughs> and owns a coffee shop. And hey, here's the deal, guys. I'm not that smart. I'm not. I kicked against those goats as hard as I could. God was writing this story. Right? And it's not that everything is falling in line like that, but if God is the author of this story, none of the pieces are outliers. Let me, let me just say that again. 
If God is the author of the story, none of the pieces are outliers. On the back of your bulletin, if you have that, will you just flip it over for me? Um, I believe Aaron Bjorklund's dad, Phil, who's um, been a missionary and worked with college students for um, most of his career, um, came up with this really neat tool. It's just called Stones, Wires, Fires. And it's a great way to try to figure out, God, what have you been up to in my life? And God, how, how are you moving? How are you working? Um, the stones are the milestones, the things that we've walked through in our life. Those, those big moments, and some of them are good and some of them are painful. And like I said, we, we don't get to just ignore any parts of those. The, these things shape us, the, the good things and the bad things. Please hear me on this. Those events shape us, but they do not have to define us. The wires, are the way that you're wired, the things that you're just naturally good at. That just maybe came easy to you. And don't think just in academics. Think in relationships too. Some of you guys are very wired to be relational connectors. And fires. These are the things that just, they get you fired up. These are your passions. You may have noticed not everybody shares your passion. And if you're in a a passion evangelist for your passion, you want everybody to get on board with it. But our ideal image of ourselves, hear me on this, is intricately connected to our deepest passion. We will never know our true self unless we can name that which we are most passionate about. So some questions might be, what moves me deeply, good or bad? What do I enjoy doing? Where do I find the greatest pleasure and the greatest joy? Who or what do I love? What breaks my heart? Because God's will goes along with God's work. And so the Jerusalem Council goes, let's ask some simple questions. What's God doing? Well, he's pouring out his spirit. And he doesn't seem to be cared about whether or not you keep the law of Moses or don't. His spirit's coming. Here's the way they continue. Verse 13. And after they finished speaking, James replied, and most people think that James was the leader of the Jerusalem church, the early church in Jerusalem, brother of Jesus, until he was killed in 62 AD. But James, Jesus' brother, who, by the way, wasn't a believer until Jesus rose from the dead, which that's probably what your brother would have to do to convince you he was God. saying (laughs) brothers he says listen to me Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name and with this the words of the prophets what agree this is not going contrary to what God said he would do this is actually very much in line after this I will Return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. And the remnant, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. So, so Simeon stands up and goes, hey, shouldn't we have sort of been like expecting this? 
Didn't God say, and he quotes some obscure passage from Amos that there's a ton of debate about whether what that actually really means, whatever it means, they are saying it's being fulfilled right there. So just, that's the lens, okay? Regardless of what it actually means, what he's saying is happening, he's going, we should have been expecting this. It says it right in in our prophets. It, It honors the promise and it honors the pattern of the scriptures, and that's the second bearing. We align with the teaching of the scriptures. The first bearing is, God, where are you at work? The second bearing is, God, we know that it's not your will to do anything that's against your way. So does it, does it align? Does it fit with what we know of your personality? Does it fit with what we know of your character? Does it fit with what it says in your scriptures? Ah, 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 ah. But if you're an astute student of the scriptures, you're going, which ones? Okay, so let me, can I just give you my heart a little bit, okay? Because as a college pastor, I saw so many young believers um, get into um, a philosophy class, a religion class at a secular school, maybe even a Bible school. And they started to actually wrestle with the Bible. And the problem with believing the narrative, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it, is what the Bible says. So which parts do we align with? That's, That's the question we should be asking. Because it's far too simplistic in order to say we just believe it all. We believe that it is all true, but we don't do it all. Let me say, like, you don't do it all, right? Um, let me just throw a few out there, okay? Let me just throw a few out there. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Any of you killed your kids because they disobeyed? I'm guessing you don't have perfect kids. And most of them you didn't kill. Some of them you may wanted to at certain times, but, I mean, that's, that's there. I can go chapter and verse. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Uh, what about, um, this is one of my favorite ones. Um, when men fight with one another and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand, your eye shall have no pity. Now, first of all, was that really an issue that needed solving? <laughs> Second of all, I, I'm... let's just go to something that's easier all right um all right you can only wear uh clothes that have one type of thread one type of fabric in them okay you're all guilty you're all we're all guilty right bacon shellfish where do we where do we stop right and and if you're going well, Paulson, you're sort of eroding the foundation that I stand on. You're welcome. Because you stand on faulty foundations. And, and our students do too. So if you're a student here, if you're going off to college, if you are at college, you're, you're going to encounter this. What's your answer? What do, you, what do you do with it? The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. 
And what they decided at this council was both in line with the big story that God was telling, but it was divergent. It was, it was this is the next chapter. This is the next phase. This is something that God promised that he would do that's new. And what they decided means, and, and, and please hear me on this. This is, it, this is important. It means that all of the Bible is true. But it doesn't mean that it's all equally applicable to us. Which is why you can eat bacon. Which is why you don't stone your kids when they disobey. Which is why you're wearing the clothes you're wearing. So, okay, if I'm tracking with the tone in the room, I'm not saying I am. <laughs> These are just the questions I had when I studied it. Okay, well, so then, Paulson, here's the bearing we're supposed to shoot. Align with the scriptures. Which ones? What do you mean? I'm glad you asked that. Because here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He's wrestling with these things. Here's what he writes. In Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8, here's what he says. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled the law. Presumably in its entirety. For the commandments. Okay, so now he's going to go, uh, you want to talk about Moses? Let's talk about Moses. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Those are all what? Those are the, those are the Ten Commandments. Those are the big ten. For those, those commandments, and any other commandment, he's like, uh, what about the other ones, Paul? He's like, any of the other ones also. Any of the other ones are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They're summed up. Like if you, if you pull that thread of love your neighbor, the entire law is going to be attached to that one. And then he says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love God, love people. This is the new covenant, friends. This is what we are called to align ourselves with. The early disciples were convinced they were all in. We'll see in just a moment that love was the intent of the entire Old Covenant. So they didn't point back to the Old Covenant to say, this is the way that we need to organize our lives. These are the laws that we need to keep. They actually pointed at Jesus. And they went, hey, if we keep this one, we keep all of them. That's our goal. Let's keep that one. And in doing so, we keep them all. Does this minimize the law of God? I think it clarifies it. It reveals the heart of what God intended to take place. What do we align with? Lean in, look up at me for a second. We align with Jesus. That's what we align with. If you want to write something down, I, this, I, I've said this before, I will say it again. Never, never, never break a secondary commandment or break the first commandment in order to keep a secondary commandment. That's our lens. Love God, love people. These are primary. If I have to break those in order to keep another one, 
Don't. Don't. Question, does it honor the dignity of people? Can I love God and do this thing? Is it spreading the net of God's love wider? These are the questions we should be wrestling with as new covenant followers of Jesus. This is what it means to bring our lives into alignment with the scriptures. All right, finally, and, and I wish I could say, ah, uh, it gets easier. Um, doesn't just, that'd be a lie. And shouldn't lie. So here's what it says. Verse 6, and the apostles and the elders, this is the third bearing, okay? The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. What matter? What, whether or not we should keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. Verse 7, and after there had been much, what? Debate, right? And if you sort of scoot forward to verse 19, it says, therefore, it is my judgment that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. What a great line. What a great line. But we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So here's what starts to happen. You have a debate. You have judgment. It's my judgment. It's my, it's my, my logical brain says we should do this. And eventually, verse 25, it says that they come to one accord. Now, not all business meetings end like this. But here's what they do. The third bearing is, what does the community of saints think? We're not going to make this decision just on our own with our head buried. Well, certainly, we're going to seek God, but we're going to also seek God's people. What do they think? What do they think? They debate. They debate. You know what a debate requires? It requires that people are on opposite sides of the aisle. A debate requires that people have information, and based on that information, they have formed an opinion that differs from other people. I know this is crazy. And it, and it also demands, we haven't seen this a whole lot, but, it, but debates demand that those people that are informed and have come to different opinions actually start to talk to each other. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, there's, really, there's this really interesting movement. I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, I read a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. In academic circles, there's this movement now. If somebody writes a paper that others don't agree with, there's massive energy put towards calling that person to redact the paper. Take it back. Say you didn't mean it. What used to happen in academic circles was there would be a rebuttal. Here's where you missed it. Here's what you got wrong. Now it's like where feelings are hurt, we need you to redact that. We've, we've lost the ability to debate. And, and it's not just outside of the church, friends. We've lost the ability to debate inside the church, to do it well. Some of the times over the last few years that I've been most embarrassed to be a follower of Jesus is when one follower of Jesus writes a paper or a book and says, here's what I believe about this issue, and other followers of Jesus are like, you're out! I mean, think of how easily that could have happened here. 
If you believe that, you're out. We've done it this way for how long? We've believed this for how long? When was the last time you changed your mind about something you believe? I'm convinced that the future of the church rests on our ability to engage and debate differing opinions without demonizing people and without casting stones. May the best, most biblical idea win. Even if it's not what you think is best. So, just a few tips for calling on wise counsel, okay? So this is just really practical. If you want to write these down, write them down. Um, in order to get people to speak into your life, you need to invite them to. You need to invite them to. And in order to consistently invite people into your life, to speak into your life and have them do it, you need to receive what they tell you humbly. So seek it and receive it well. Here's what I'm not saying, though, because number two is just as important as number one. Not all advice is created equal. Not all advice is created. So you can receive something humbly, think about it honestly, and go, I'm not sure I agree with that. And here's usually my lens of whether or not I trust what somebody's telling me. I decide based on their love for me. Does this person care about me? If I disagree with them, will they be gone? Is our relationship based on me accepting their advice? If so, no thanks. I base it based on their lifestyle. Do you want the kind of life that person is living? Because here's the deal. People typically give advice that's in line with who they are. Do you want your life to look like theirs? If not, I wouldn't take their advice. (laughs) Or maybe tell them to take it first. Here's what I don't do, though, or at least I try not to. This is so hard, you guys. I I try not to make my decision based on whether or not I like what they say. That's not a a part of it. If we're asking for collective wisdom, we might find out we're wrong. And so here's what we have, okay? Here's what we have. We have these three streams, God's activity out there and in our lives. The teachings of the scriptures, primarily the way of Jesus, and wise counsel. And when you draw all of those back, after you've sought those things out, eventually you're going to go, I think, I think that I'm sort of in this area, and what it looks like to move forward in God's will means moving in this direction. You know what the most interesting thing to me is? What the church says back to the church, the church leaders say back to the church at Antioch, verse 22. They say this. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. Now, just a a quick insert here. This term, seemed good, is going to end up three times in their letter back. Three times. Or three times in the discussion about this letter. It seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send them up to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent out Judas called Uh, Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Here's what they said back to them. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from among us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, 
Although he gave them no instruction, talking, t- he's referring to saying you need to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men to send them with you, our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Here you go. Here's a conclusion. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these requirements. The most important decision the collective church has ever made, they made based on what seemed good to them and to the Spirit. This is what they're saying. We've triangulated. This is what seems good. Well, what seemed good? That you should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, don't eat food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. They didn't go, hey, here's the um, Mosaic law, do it. They picked out a few commands that were central to keeping the unity of the church. That's what they did. And they said, yeah, do these. You'll do well if you do them. Farewell. (laughs) There was no clear word spoken from heaven, you guys. But there was a clear leading. There was a clear leading. And that's how they discerned the will of God. The most important decision the church has ever It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. Let's roll. I, I don't know what decisions you're facing in your life right now, but can I propose, this, isn't, this is way more art than science, but what I, can I propose that you run them through this grid? God, where do I see you working? Where are you at work? God, what does it look like to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? How do I align with where you've been leading us in the scriptures, that trajectory that continues to go forward today? What does it look like to ground my life in that? And then finally, God, you've, you've brought some people around me. The church is typically called this spiritual direction. You've brought some people around me to speak into my life, to sort of point me in a way, to ask great questions, to try to help me discern where you are moving. God, what, what are those people telling me? And then, God, it looks like I might be here, and it looks like you might be leading me forward there. What decisions are you looking at? I'm just going to give you a moment to think on that. And what might it look like? For you to run it through this grid. Just carve out a moment here for you because my guess is you're going to go running out of here and you might have these notes, but you're going to go on with your day. What, what's that decision that you're just going, God, I just, I so long to know what you want me to do. 
and maybe you've been asking for a long time and it seems like heaven's silent. I just want to tell you, heaven isn't silent. There's, there are invitations all around you. Shoot these bearings. See where God might lead you. I'm going to end with two things. Number one, um, I, I'm going to invite you Throughout this series, we've had people ask some really, really good questions. And um, this week, this Tuesday, Aaron and I are going to do um, a live Q&A, and um, we'll do it on Facebook, but it'll be posted afterwards to our website. If you have questions that you'd like us to answer on those, like me to try to answer, um, I would love to do that. So you can send your questions to questions at southfellowship.org. And I, I mean, I, I really genuinely would be very grateful if you sent those in. Secondly, if you were here last week, um, you know that we did a survey, and we're going to hand that out. If you didn't have the chance to complete it last week, we're going to hand it out again, and, and we would be really grateful. Our leaders, our elders, our staff would be so grateful if you take the time to fill that out, because like I said, seeing where God's moving right now will help us chart the course forward to say we, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and us to do this. So Jesus, give us wisdom. Help us hear you and each other clearly. Lead and guide. Maybe in ways we didn't think you'd lead and guide. And Lord, help us be faithful to follow. It's in your name that we pray. Now God's people said.